1: Welcome to the Mentors Radio Show. I'm Tom Laurie, your host for today. I'm really glad that you joined us. Have you ever hit the wall and had to make a major change in your life or your career? Have you wondered how you need to get a, to go about that to have a successful endpoint? Well, we'll be tackling these questions and more with a guest who has seen it all. Before we dive in, though, three quick reminders. We love your feedback and questions. Leave us a question anytime, 24-7 at 844-610-8255. That number again is 844-610-TALK. You can like us on Facebook at The Mentors Radio, and you'll find all of our show notes with free links and giveaways at thementorsradio.com. That's thementorsradio.com. Okay, let's get started. We have as our special guest today, Andres Vidmar, who... Spent a couple of years as a Swiss guard at the Vatican, and he had a special opportunity to be the bodyguard for John Paul II. Andreas is also the author of a book called The Pope and the CEO, which we're going to talk a great deal about in terms of lessons learned as he worked with John Paul II. We also have uh, with us today uh, Lynn Fisher, and Lynn is the CEO of. Title 21, which is a health solutions provider in Pleasanton, California. Lynn made a switch herself from consumer marketing, where she was marketing ice cream and wine, to the healthcare world. And she's going to be a guest host today and have some questions with her entrepreneurship background. Uh, Andreas is the assistant professor of entrepreneurship and the director of the art. And Carly's Ciocco, I may have said that wrong, Ciocca. Center for Principal Entrepreneurship at the Catholic University of America's Bush School of Business and Economics. And let's skip right to uh, Andreas and I would like him to tell us a little bit about his background and he can start off with uh, why he wanted to be a Swiss Guard.
2: Hi Tom and Lynn, thanks for having me on the show. It's a common question, eh? why did you want to be a Swiss Guard? If I could only tell you that it was out of nobility and noble means or uh, uh, objective, it wasn't. I became a Swiss guard because um, that is a secret service. It's a foreign legion for Swiss, uh, for Swiss citizens. And I just thought becoming a bodyguard was about the coolest thing I could do at 20 years old. And uh, unfortunately, faith uh, was not on my mind. And so I completely went there for secular reasons.
1: And uh, what was the role that you played while at the Vatican with regards to John, Saint John Paul II? So
2: the Swiss Guards, we've been doing this since 1506. So many, you know, over 500 years. We we are responsible solely for the personal integrity of the Holy Father. So we're his his bodyguards, like his uh, a group of 115 of us that is responsible for the safety. Of the Pope, uh, of whoever's the Pope, and so we guard his um, his apartment uh, when he travels. We guard him uh, when he travels around Rome or or the world or inside the Vatican. Wherever he goes, we go. And so my my duty was very um, you know versatile in a sense. Sometimes you're stationed at the more fixed points, like the, the the apartment is of course always secured but sometimes you get to go with him as he goes and has audiences, be it on the square or in the, in the church, in the, in the audience hall. We basically get to be wherever he goes. And the interesting thing there is that because we're always there, the Pope is going to have to talk to somebody, and everybody else usually makes quite a bit of a, you know, for lack of a better word, fuss about him being there. And so a relationship is built between the Swiss Guards and the Holy Father, that is a personal relationship, because he, he's, he's, we're always close to where he is at, and so eventually he takes to talking to the Guards very personally, and gets to know them very personally, and that is exactly the privilege that I had, to actually get to know uh, John Paul II uh, on a very personal basis.
1: And how did it prepare you for what was to come after you left the Vatican?
2: That's a long story, but in, a ba- in basic terms, John Paul II led me to faith. He led me to faith in Jesus Christ and to have a, a relationship, to seek a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which he had and I much admired and longed for, and he was the one who taught me to pray and um, to seek Christ, and so I would say, in in the big picture of my life, that is uh, that that is what He gave me. Of course, it wasn't um, it wasn't so that John Paul just said, "Okay, do this." And, and actually, he never said, "Do this." He always said, uh, "I'd have to make a, a decision myself." But it wasn't so easy as to say, "He gave me." Uh, the, the, the tools for this faith, and everything was right afterwards. It, not at all. He put me on that path, and I had a two-step, uh, one-step-forward, two-step-back relationship in my faith, and then eventually in my work, um, especially in, in putting the two things together. But he certainly was uh, built the basis of, uh, of my professional life.
1: Now, I know that you... Uh after the Vatican, you came to the United States and you were one of the very first employees for what is now known as Nuance, which is a company that's valued in excess of $5 billion. But something happened after Nuance. So tell us a little bit about that experience.
2: So I came after uh, after I I left the Vatican and I came to America uh, that my first company is actually called FTP software Um that was the, the company that introduced the internet to the PC, which internet is in uh, Unix based, and we wrote the, in a sense, the emulator of the translation for, uh, for TCPIP. So anyway, um, that was the first success I was very blessed to have. It was amazing uh, in the early 90s. And then I switched over to Dragon Systems, where I met the engineers who uh, invented continuous speech recognition. And it was an amazing experience. We eventually sold the company for $600 million, which is uh, you know, it's amazing. And at that point, I've had two really, really large successes in my business life, coming to America and living the American dream, really falling in love with this system, but then also falling in love thinking that I had a golden touch, you see. And that's sort of the two steps back there in terms of my faith and my business in that, I started, I I was at that point most certainly a a Sunday Catholic, but I never stopped to go to church or anything. It's just that that's what I did on Sunday, not on, you know, Jesus was the man on Sunday. I was the man on Monday through Saturday. Um, And so we sold that company, and to make a long story short, it turned out to be a fraudulent company who bought us. And the whole thing, like faster than you, than you can blink went to zero. They pulled the stock uh, of NASDAQ and the whole thing turned into a scandal and and we ended up with literally zero dollars.
1: Well, let's uh, stop there for a second and go to break and after the break we're going to be with our guest mentor, Andreas Viedmar and our guest host, Lynn Fisher and we're going to talk a little bit more about when Andreas hit the wall and what he had become And what did he need to become?
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Hi, welcome back. If you've just just
1: joined us, you're listening to The Mentors Radio. I'm Tom Laurie, your host for today. We're talking with Andreas Viedmar who is the Assistant Professor of Entrepreneurship at the Catholic University of America's Bush School of Business and Economics. And we're talking about when he hit the wall and the pivot he made after he left the Vatican and a company that he was involved with uh, went down the tubes and he lost everything as a result. You can catch the full show on TheMentorsRadio.com. We also have in the studio today Lynn Fisher, who is a co-host with me. And I know Lynn had a question about hitting the wall. Yes,
3: thanks Tom. Andreas, thank you so much. I really enjoyed um, your book The Pope and the CEO. And in your book you post questions of reflection at the end of each chapter, which I found to be very helpful. So looking back on your career at FTP and Dragon Systems and when you did hit the wall, do you look back at those experience that they were a blessing or a curse, or how do you reflect on those experiences given where you are now in your career?
2: Linda, thanks for asking this my favorite question. With any doubt, these were blessings. What does it serve a man to win the whole world and to lose his soul? And mm-hmm. I think that in, in the cases, I had to reinvent myself, but two or three times in my life because of situations with like this. Some of them totally outside of my control or even my causing, but still, these were events looking back where God gave me a very clear guidelines of where he wants me to go. How often do we pray and say, God, if you'd only clearly tell me where to go. Well, he did clear- tell me a few times <laughs> all too clearly where he wanted me to go. And that's uh, that's a great blessing. And so I sort of think back of Israel in the Old Testament that gets these corrections. And I'm actually glad for these corrections because they give me a chance to really uh, reflect on God in my life. Mm-hmm.
3: So what advice would you give someone who's just hit the wall?
2: Well, it's difficult to uh, have the distance to it. So you go through all the you know, you sort of go through the greeting process when somebody asks me, so what do you do after you lose $600 million, a, a group like that uh, of us who managed, who, who ran, uh, who owned uh, uh, Dragon Systems, what do you do? And my answer is, well, you assume the fetal position under your desk, <laughs> which is to say, this isn't going to be easy. And of course, the first thing is like somebody slaps you and then you just... It's just, it's depressing and, and, and discouraging and all of that. The question is, throughout all of this, you have a right to go through these, and, and even in a sense of psychologically, you, have a, you should go through these greetings, through the greeting process, but throughout all of this, if there's a way you can reach out to God. Go and experience the sacraments. Don't experience the sacrament of confession. And and with a little bit of distance, go... go to do a retreat, uh, uh, write about uh, glorifying God through all the things that are good in your life and what you're thankful for. Uh, do a gratitude journal after something like this happened to you, and you will start to see how God is working in your life. I would say it took me a good two years to start to put this into perspective. Um, when you hit the wall, and uh, or I want to call it the ground, uh, I mean, this really smashed me on the ground. Of course, I'm married, and at the same time, in, on some levels, it's worse for your spouse because they only hear this and they feel completely in, uh, non-empowered. They only hear this and they go in this roller coaster and they can't do anything about it. Well, neither can you, but at least you're, you're on the front line of it. So it also hurts your marriage, you know? And so you have to pray in in a real uh, active way um, one of the things that helped me is to have confession regularly and to have a spiritual director who helped me put things in perspective. But it took a good two years to to even get to
1: perspective. In case you just tuned in, you're listening to The Mentor's Radio. More information is available on the web at the mentorsradio.com. I'm Tom Laurie, and today we're talking with Andreas Viedmar, who went from being a Vatican Swiss guard to an entrepreneur and ended up hitting the wall. And uh, I know that at some point in your recovery, we'll call it the recovery, you formed or you did some work and John Templeton Foundation uh, uh, asked you to do some things and that led to another, uh, another chapter in your life. Well, you could Tell us about that.
2: So you said that Tom, the thing is that, um, so I was trying to jump back in right away and go back and start my next company. I was actually a, an executive in residence at a, at a large, famous uh, uh, VC company in Boston, and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go back in. And at the side, I, I wrote, uh, I wrote on my faith and my business, um, uh, an article that's called "My Faith in Capitalism," sort of to compare the two and to compare my experience, or, or to as a catharsis, in, if you wish. And then, um, and. Sir John Templeton approached me and said, hey, uh, this is very interesting stuff you're writing. That's exactly the kind of stuff I'm trying to do. Why uh, why don't you come and work with me? And I kept saying, wow, look, you're doing philanthropy and everything. That's not my shtick. That's not what I'm doing. And I kept saying for him to go away. And he kept coming back and saying, look, if you don't want to work with me, then at least write the business plan for what I'm doing, what what my group could do. And I'm like, okay, that, that I'll do make a little bit of money. And then while I'm here trying to get my next thing going, l- little did I know that that is actually what God wanted me to do. And while the VC side and me least trying to start something else it totally decreased this idea of, uh, of starting a company that, that works with emerging market companies to find the best entrepreneurs in the world to, Uh, to show how entrepreneurship can be a solution to poverty, ended up uh, taking over the next next six years of my life and really to lead what I'm doing today uh, to teach entrepreneurship.
1: And you mentioned that uh, there were some keys to leading the John Paul, St. John Paul II. uh, You observed and you certainly wrote about it in your book. What are a few of those that stick out?
2: You know, um, it takes a little bit longer to explain that in detail, but basically what he says, when we work, we imitate God. We get this privilege to be created like God. No animal can work. No animal can create. We can create because we're made in the image and likeness of God. So when we, as humans, work, we don't just make more. This is not just a physical thing. We literally become more. We become more like God, and if you become like God, you become holy. Work is a path to holiness.
1: We're going to cut to break, and when we come back, we'll be talking with Andreas Viedmar, who went from the Vatican to entrepreneurship, from pivoting from hitting the wall to great success.
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Welcome back. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Mentor's Radio. I'm Tom Lurie, your host for today, and we're talking with Andreas Vidmar, who is the Assistant Professor of Entrepreneurship at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. And in the last segment, we were talking about recovering from hitting the wall and putting God and Christ into your life as part of your recovery. I have today Lynn Fisher, who is the CEO as a guest CEO of Title 21, which is a health solutions company, who is a guest host with me. And she has a follow-up question for you, Andreas.
3: Yes. Mm -hmm. So, Andreas, in your book, you wrote when you were leaving the Vatican that uh, St. John Paul II gave you a blessing and said, go and bring Christ in the world. So my question for you is, when have you found it's appropriate to share your faith and bring Christ in the workplace. How do you make that decision?
2: It's a good question. Yes, he, he because he knew that I found Christ um in the Vatican through working with him. He because first he sort of joked and said, Why are you leaving and so on? Then eventually he said, Look, I'm glad um and and go bring Christ who you found here now into work and into what you're going to do. I use his model in this when you say, how is it appropriate? When Pope John Paul II first interacted with me, I was in a difficult, very difficult emotional space, and what he did actually is not to tell me what to do, but he basically embraced me and said that he was going to pray for me. And he never, and, and actually, John Paul never told me what to do. He always tried to do something for me. And so, in a sense, he carried me to Christ. Mm-hmm. He loved me to Christ, he prayed me to Christ. So what I'm trying to do is I will bring Christ anywhere I go, into any boardroom, into any meeting, but not in the way that you would think that I bring up Christ in a confrontational way. First of all, anywhere I go, I try to pray there, because I think if I don't pray, if I pray there, it allows God to enter that place, that building, that meeting, and so on even quietly. I have a rosary with me. I, I, I very, I'm very, i very conscious of bringing Christ to wherever I go. At the same time, Tom Paul said that what he liked to do when he would meet with somebody is to, before going into the meeting, to say, Lord, you know this person that I'm going to meet and you love them so much because otherwise they wouldn't exist. Lord, let me see this person the way you see them. And then act according to that love one of the reasons why john paul is everybody feels like they that he you know when they met him like he got up to meet them in the morning i think that is the crucial point that he had he prayed for the holy spirit to work through him to to give him the eyes in the way of the love of god that's why he was so present and i think this is something we can do something he talks about is there's if you you we're we're meant to love each other and, and love in, in, in English is sort of a one-word a one, a one word thing, but in Italian there's many different kinds of loves. The kind of love we would have among us uh, in business or uh, um, among people, friendship, which is called, when you say, I love you, you say, ti voglio bene, ti voglio bene, I want your good. And Jean-Paul would say, well, what good do you want from me? What's well, the greatest good you could meet? You could wish for somebody, even if they, it doesn't matter if they're Catholic, if, they're, if they have no faith, it doesn't matter what. What do you wish for them? Are they important? Do you love them enough that you wish for them to forever be happy and go to heaven and be with God forever? Even if they don't believe, you can wish it for them. And so how much do you love them? If you love somebody, you'd never do anything with them or for them uh, that would hinder them on this path to heaven so I would ask do you love your customers do you love your employees what's the benefit? what's the good you want wish for them and are you behaving according to that I think this is one of the critical ways to bring Christ into the workplace and this kind of approach is beautiful and therefore it, it attracts people and they will very soon ask you where you're coming from with this and that's uh, a moment of that kind of evangelization. I think that most of the evangelization is done with this approach to to, your man, to loving you and to see people with God's eyes.
1: In case you just tuned in, you're listening to the Mentors Radio, this is Tom Laurie, your host for this week, and we are talking with Andreas Viedmar, who served as a pontifical Swiss Guard before coming into the world of business. He speaks four languages, has a number of degrees, and is uh, an eternal student. And I'd like to ask uh, you right now, Andreas, about that eternal learning and reading. Uh, from what I read out of the book is that uh, John Paul was, and it seems that you followed that path as well. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit to the eternal learning. And I know it's learning about yeah, things eternal, course. but it's also eternal learning.
2: Yeah, of course, Tom. The, the see there is a joy. What I learned and discovered uh, in my time in Rome, in my, t- my time with John Paul, is the joy of learning. To me, at, as a, I was a twenty-year-old when I met him, I just came out of school and I just couldn't, I couldn't get out of the there fast enough. I was not a good student, and to me, learning was a chore. It was something somebody tells me to do, and they tell me what to do. He turned that upside down. John Paul's mental uh, expansion, his, his mental attitude, I feel like when he talked about things, it's almost like he took me by the hand and led me onto this high peak with a vista that would just blow me away. It was beautiful to see how he could show you how learning would as he would say makes you fly like an eagle. You know, he said that the one we are we are made to be eagles, to be the you know, the kings and queens of the sky in that sense. And for that God gave us two wings. One is reason, learning, and the other one is faith. But if you only use one, you're like an eagle who goes in a circle. You can't fly straight. He said, however, that most of us eat, won't even use either one of these just to be earth, uh, earthbound, uh, uh, you know, in, in our mental state that we don't even take off. But what he showed me is what the beauty is that we can attain, the heights we can attain when we combine learning with prayer, faith with reason, and the heights this gets, gets you to and the experiences this gets you to, the beauty of the vista is part of the greatest treasures that he's given me.
1: Now, he mentioned, uh, you mentioned as well about the role of suffering in life. Could you touch on that briefly?
2: Yeah, I actually just had a conversation about this with somebody yesterday. I don't think we should glorify suffering, uh, because then what we do is somebody who went into an accident and is, is hurting us so do we say that that's good suffering? No, suffering itself is not good. But when we suffer, we could turn that into a prayer and offer it up so that the suffering that we do have, the necessary suffering, we can turn and offer up and through that make it redemptive and give it to the Lord. And in that sense, uh, it becomes a a very beautiful thing. Today, there's too much of this idea that we sort of... in, in, In order to get rid of suffering, we try to get rid of the sufferer. But John Paul was very careful to point out that we should focus on helping people to uh, my, to, to bring down or, or to avoid suffering uh, just like that. But we should not get rid of the sufferer.
1: When we come back, we'll be continuing our discussion with Andreas Wiedemar, who is the Assistant Professor of Entrepreneurship at the Catholic University of America.
0: And now... Back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. In case you just tuned in, you're listening to the Mentors
1: Radio. More information is available on the web at TheMentorsRadio.com. We uh, really love your feedback. Uh, you can like us on Facebook. You can leave a question anytime at 844 610 Talk, 844 610 Talk, and you can find all of our show notes with free links and giveaways at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. Today we are talking with Andreas Viedmar, who not only uh, left the Vatican to go into uh, the world of startups with uh, the bumpy ride that it offers, he's also been a featured, uh, he's authored a number of articles and has been featured in the Financial Times. He's been on CNN, ABC, NPR, Wall Street Journal Live, Huffington Post, and many more, including the Vatican Radio, which is no surprise. Now, what I'd like to do is shift gears a little bit and talk about what you're doing at Catholic University. How did you find yourself moving from capitalism to the academy?
2: (laughs) Yeah, God is wonderful, eh? Actually, uh, it was just like my shift uh, to go into philanthropy with Sir John, is that uh, a a gentleman uh, who worked at CUA, um, Andrew Abella, read my book. And he was a professor of marketing at CUA at the Department of Business and Economics. And he read my book, and he called and said, "Hey, this is great. Um, I teach this, and would you come and help us? Uh, you know, would you come here and, and lecture for me? You know, just just come as a guest." And before you know it, we talked about how he had a dream to start a, a really Catholic business school, and that was just irresistible. Uh, and and so I joined him in the effort to start um, the, the, the Catholic business, at the business school at Catholic University, which is meant to be a business school that is built upon the social teaching of the church and that pursues excellence in faith and excellence in business and to show that business is a force for good.
1: And in your book, you talk about what why a business exists. Could you share that with uh, our audience?
2: Yeah, businesses actually exist in my my view for three things. The first thing is to create. Um, when we when we make something out of nothing, that's always an imitation of God. Only God can do this. Like God created the world. In a sense, we have this invitation to continue creation uh, through our work. Um, if that is so, then what we have as a duty in within a company like this is to allow everybody who who comes in touch with or in contact with this effort of ours, of creation, to also uh, use this as a path to holiness. So, the, so that means we should support others in their path to holiness through what we do. So again, the first objective is to create. The second objective is to support each other in holiness through what we do, through our creation. Because again, we have a free will, and we can... We have to make sure, it's it's not a given that the goods that we create are truly good, or the services we come up with that they truly serve. That's something we decide. And so we create, we support, and we reward. The third objective of business is to be profitable and be rewarding on all kinds of levels, material level included, uh, financial level included to pay high and rising wages above above average return on investment and be profitable in general. You know, God has never made anything; has never created one thing that isn't profitable. And so, when we imitate God, in need creativity. We need to make sure that we are profitable too.
1: In case you just tuned in, you're listening to the Mentors Radio. More information is available on the web at thementorsradio.com. And you can go to mentorsradio.com to listen to this show and past shows. I'm Tom Laurie, and we're talking with Andreas Viedmar, who is at the Catholic University of America.
3: Andreas, what advice would you give a recent college graduate who may not have um, a lot of direction, may not have a, exactly their life's purpose figured out, and they may not even have a mentor at that point? What would you counsel them?
2: Yeah, discernment is a is a wonderful process. It's scary and I know that if you're in the middle of it or on the beginning of it rather that it sounds uh, almost too much to handle. However, what I would the way I would start with this is to engage in a regular prayer life that is it doesn't matter, you know, there's different people. I'm somebody with very strong ADD. And so I will never be a contemplative, but I can nonetheless uh, have a prayer regimen that can ha- that is is made for my temperament. Yeah, and I think it's very critical through these stages of of change and discernment to have a spiritual director. So that person has a bit of outside perspective, hopefully training, and they can help us to discern what is from God and what isn't. And so those two things, I certainly would want to. Uh, put them in the direction in. And then as far as your discernment is concerned, did you notice how in my case, every time the discernment came, it's actually something, it's almost like the opportunity I didn't pay attention to because it was in a sense too close to me or too obvious that I ignored. God doesn't usually ask people to pack up their stuff and move all the way over to the other side of the world and go to China and do something over there. God will probably talk to you about something that is relatively close And if there is a change, God will make you take one foot at a time and take one step, two steps, three steps, and do logical steps within the reach and within the means that you have. And so we shouldn't fret about these huge life-changing decisions if all God is asking us is to take one step at a time and let him lead us to where he wants us to go. Very few times did I see people who have a change in their life. Even in my own case where I, I consider myself having in a sense reinvented my career but not in a not in a watershed event. It's a gradual process. Afterwards it looks like watershed, but as you go through it, God is gentle. And so make sure, you know, as it says that you hear the whisper. And for that whisper you do have to get um Silent, and you do have to. John Paul used to go sit in front of the Eucharist, in front of adoration, and he would always bring a, one of these yellow pads, note paper things with him. And anything he does, any writing he did, any planning he did, he always did there. It's one of the things I try to imitate him on: go and sit in front of the Eucharist and ask for guidance and see what comes back.
3: That's great advice.
1: So now that you're at Catholic University and you're teaching uh, entrepreneurship, what is your big idea for the school, the Bush School?
2: So on the entrepreneurship side, the big idea here is to do two things. On the one hand, entrepreneurship is doing, not just thinking. So I'm I'm very critical of business plans. In my uh, introduction to business, every business student at CUA, it's a mandatory course, every business student starts a business with me. And so that we're not just talking about this. The first thing you do when you come to business school should be to start a business so that later on when we teach you all this other stuff, it makes sense what it's for. So that this, this shouldn't be theory, this should be practice. That's the first thing. We need to be doers, creators, and actually jump in and start to do this. Who would learn to swim on dry land, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is this whole attitude in the mental model of seeing business as a force for good, seeing business as what Pope Francis calls a noble vocation in that sense of being, in a sense, co-creators, participating in God's creative power, and that we... And, and that that excellence of business can be matched with excellence in faith and be a really valid path and a really beautiful path to holiness.
1: We're not going anywhere. Please stick around as we continue our discussion with Andreas Vidmar after the break.
0: And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Hi, welcome back. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Mentors Radio. I am Tom Laurie, with our guest host, Lynn Fisher, today, and we're talking with Andreas Widmar, a former Swiss guard at the Vatican who is now teaching at the Catholic University of America. In your program at uh, CUA... What uh, changes have you made based on, or what changes, and how would you differentiate yourself from other uh, business programs, and how have you been impacted by technology and moving in that direction?
2: So so we, of course, didn't have to make any changes because we're a new school. We're number 12, so it's Catholic University of America is the Pope's university in America. It was founded by Pope Leo in like 1875 or something, and... It just never had a school of business and economics. And so we started that five years ago. So in that sense, we sort of had a empty slate, a clean slate to start. Uh, we built this again. The cornerstone of our school is excellence in faith and excellence in business. We are built around, structured around Catholic social teaching. And so, and with that whole idea of uh, business being noble. Uh, co-creation, kind of, uh, kind of that thing. As far as that, so that's our key differentiator. We're a really truly Catholic business school, and um, there's no class uh, that we have where this isn't somehow applied, uh, or where Catholic social doctrine does isn't being discussed in the context. As far as technology is concerned, um, that plays, it depends always on the professor, but that in my case that plays a huge role in the classroom. I, I do both. Uh, In my classroom, everybody brings a computer with them. The business I start with the students is a marketing affiliate blog, which is the simplest uh, way to start a business. It's all free. This is America. I love this country. You can still start a business for free. And um, we do that, and it's all technology-based. I think that nobody comes out of our school who doesn't know the most, uh, not just the most basic way of not just consuming but using social media um, and then also that they're able to interpret and and investigate and research uh, the social media um, trends that they have and actually make actionable decisions uh, based on that. So uh, the other thing that we're very strong on is that we actually push a very strong uh, classical liberal education alongside, integrated with the business school. So you'd have much more English uh, philosophy and theology than a comparable school.
1: And what do you see today with regards to the millennials? They've kind of gotten a bad rap in being selfish and everything, but
2: yeah. I, I mean, it's I kind of a that. paradox yeah. with uh,
1: what you're doing.
2: I don't see that. I don't, you know, I, I don't see that there is this, I don't even like that. Mentality. What I'm seeing are kids, in situations that I recognize myself in these kids. Now, maybe there's the technology that's different, but what I'm seeing is good kids who are looking to make a life, not just a living, who are looking for meaning, who are hungry to understand that they're not um, aimlessly wandering around. They're hungry to um, to find Christ, and... Um, so I don't see them. Uh, even they, when people say they don't have an attention span of everything, I don't see this. All these cliches that they're talking about millennials, millennials. I I don't know. Maybe I'm not looking for them, but I don't see any of this. I see kids that I can identify with, as when I was 20 years old.
1: Well, that's a hopeful sign, Andrea. Since yes, you wrote,
2: I'm, I'm very encouraged by what we see,
3: Andrea. Since you wrote the Pope and the CEO, what other learning? have you gained in your faith journey since that? We're going to have to be quick.
2: It's just, there's a lot of things I've learned since then, but the most important thing is to deepen and to have more personal peace and, in a sense, be more detached with the outcome, not with my effort, but with the outcome of what it is that we're doing. If I am pursuing the, the will of God, then what comes out of If I put in all I can... And if at the end of that, the outcome is God's will, then I want to be, to begin with, have a deep peace to be welcoming uh, whatever the result is that God ordains.
3: And who is the happiest person you met along this journey?
2: Definitely John Paul II. But a a close second would be Mother Teresa, who was just, her smile was just an angel's smile. Very impressive once you've seen it, it's just
1: it burns it positively burns into your heart. Well, listen, we've run out of time. It's really been fun having you, Andreas. Thank you for being my guest. You've been listening to the Mentors radio show. I'm Tom Laurie. We've been talking with Andreas Vidmar, who is the Assistant Professor of the School of Entrepreneurship at the Bush School at the Catholic University. If you like what you've heard and you want to share it with your friends, Or if you tuned in late, you can hear the whole show at TheMentorsRadio.com. We will look for you there. Join us next weekend at this time for the next edition of The Mentors. Until then, on behalf of Rick Brutico, my guest host today, Lynn Fisher, and myself, Tom Laurie, be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness.
0: It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.